0: Good morning. Today we continue our current sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at Paul's teaching in the letter of 1 Corinthians on the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the church and how God's Spirit yearns with great passion for us to be a united Connected Church. So I'm going to invite you this morning to look to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Listen to God's Word speaking to you this morning. And so, brothers and sisters... I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as you live in jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, And behaving according to human inclinations. For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have come to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to their labor. For you are God's servants working together, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy. and You are that temple. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as your church, we gather this morning to place ourselves in front of your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be present open our ears and our hearts to hear from you. Amen. Well, it's not an underestimation to say that one of the most important themes in all of the Apostle Paul's teaching is around the unity of the church. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul will immediately address why he has written this letter in the first place. In chapter 1, verse 11, the very first thing Paul says after his initial greetings is this, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. Paul doesn't waste any time in addressing what he sees to be the main issue at hand. The Corinthians are actually hoping to hear Paul's thoughts on speaking in tongues, something that he's not going to address until the end of the letter. There's actually a long laundry list of issues going on in the Corinthian church, but the first thing Paul wants to get to, there's fights among you guys. At the time that this letter was written in Corinth, the church was immersed in controversy. As a community, this church was dealing with sexual immorality, lawsuits amongst fellow believers, debates regarding eating meat to idols, problems surrounding the Lord's Supper, social issues between wealthy and poor, misunderstandings about the general resurrection, and confusion on spiritual gifts, among other issues. Actually makes Pastor John and I feel a lot better about you guys. But of all of the controversies, the first one Paul addresses is this, disunity. Paul's frustration with disunity in the church is absolutely everywhere in his teaching as a pastor. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Philemon, Ephesians. He talks about the unity of the church almost in every single letter he wrote. So when Chloe's people told Paul that this church is fighting and bickering, Paul jumps on it like a duck on a June bug. Is that the correct saying for you Midwest folks? Is that fast? He's on top of it. The Corinthians are caught up in creating lines and divisions based on which leader they are associating themselves with. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 12, each of you says, I belong to Paul. Or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Caiaphas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? We actually don't know why the Corinthians are identifying themselves with either Paul or Apollos or Caiaphas. Perhaps it's theological reasons. Perhaps they liked the preaching style of that person better. Perhaps they just liked that person better. We don't know. But we do know that this was a serious point of conflict and disunity within their church. Listen to the strong language that Paul uses in verse 10 of chapter 1. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus All of you be in agreement. No divisions among you and be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Paul understood that a divided church is distracted. A divided church is inward focused instead of being outward focused missionally focused, seeking to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the reason we exist. Anyone who has ever played a team sport knows exactly what Paul is talking about here. My freshman year of high school, I decided to join the football team and although I wanted to play quarterback, the coach put me on the offensive line. I don't know why. Uh, I also played defensive line, but my dreams of quarterback never were realized. We actually had a really good team. We had a lot of talent on our team. We had size, we had strength, we had speed, and we had a lot of ego to go along with it. And we won our first game of the season but we lost the next nine. (laughs) And we finished one and nine. And during a number of those games, our team would actually be winning. But once we made a mistake, we would start to make another mistake, and then another mistake, and then fear and panic would creep in, and we would start turning in against ourselves, There would be finger-pointing in the huddle, arguments, blame-shifting. That was the culture of our team that came from the top down. Any good coach will tell you that a team divided cannot win, no matter how talented you are. And as Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. In our text this morning, Paul adopts three metaphors, three metaphors, each intended to demonstrate the importance of unity in the church. Paul calls the church a field, a building, and the temple. To be the field reminds us who brings life. Who is responsible for the growth and all of the good that happens in the church? To be the field reminds us who that is. One person can plant, another person can water, but God, only God, is the source of life. To God and God alone be the glory. You see, friends, division happens when we fail to recognize who gets the glory, who's in charge, who's it all about, where does the growth come from? It comes from God. And we are, we are servants of the master. We worship no one but God alone. We serve no one but God alone. And our faith is in no one but God alone. That's what it means. To recognize that God makes the growth. We always praise God. We give glory to God. We don't give it to a pastor. We don't give it to a musician. We don't give it to this person or that person. We are merely servants working together in one mission. If the church is a field, then may we bear fruit of unity. When Paul calls the church a building... He does so to emphasize that we are to build on one foundation, Jesus Christ. Brenda so elegantly talked about that in her children's story this morning. Paul encourages the Corinthians to build their community with care. This last month, Sarah and I got to buy our first home which we never thought would actually happen. I mean, we go into ministry, you don't know if you're ever going to be a homeowner someday. So we have been so grateful, so thankful to God for, for blessing us and for allowing us to own a home. People say that buying your first home can be stressful. I see Dan Peterson in the audience, and he could probably attest to that as one who works in the real estate industry. You you can have a stressful experience. You can have this new financial commitment that you will have for the next 30 years, (laughs) unless you move. You have all the things that can go wrong with the closing process. You have the inspection. You have the appraisal. And then when it's all said and done and you finally move into the house, you get to learn about the not-so-fun stuff about homeownership like when your furnace breaks on night two. Woo, man, those things are expensive. And it's not fun when you don't have heat and a small baby. We're very grateful for the masons for loaning us space heaters. And two days after our furnace broke down, which it's now fixed, by the way, so rest assured, Sarah and I were hanging our wedding picture in our dining room and we nailed right into a water pipe which starts shooting water out of the drywall and into the floor. And we're just like, what? God. Thankful for Peter and Hal Clark for running down to our house to show us how to turn off the water. I don't know anything about houses. Well, the pipe is now fixed, and our wedding picture covers the hole that the plumber... (laughs) had to cut out the drywall to fix the pipe. Well, we have, that's a great spot for our portrait. That was Sarah's idea. It's great. And after Sarah got a flat tire on the same day, which happened in our driveway, we concluded that the house was haunted. <laughs> I seriously hope not, but we have been praying over the house, and we invite your prayers as well. The house is actually in great great condition. I mean, besides from the stuff we've done to it. And we've learned that this house is in great condition because it has great bones, which apparently is a term that people use for the wood inside. Right, Dustin? Yeah, I know that. I'm just, I'm just joking. But it's got great bones and it's got a great foundation. We learned during our inspection that our house is built on a concrete slab And our inspector was telling us that if you have a strong foundation and good bones, your house can go through a lot. Foundation is the most important aspect of construction and building. And that's from the inspector, not from me, because you know I don't know much about building. But Paul says, for this church, for this community... To be strong, when fire comes, when trial comes, when anything comes, our church's way, for us to be strong, we have to build on Jesus Christ, the one and the only foundation that will help us endure until the end. Friends, the foundation cannot be scientific knowledge, the, sound, the foundation cannot be earthly wisdom, or religious experience, even. The foundation is not a liberal agenda. The foundation is not a conservative agenda. The foundation is not the GOP. The foundation is not the Democratic Party. The foundation is not PCUSA. It's not evangelicalism. The foundation is no government, no agency, no country, The foundation is Jesus Christ. No other structure, no other foundation can support this church, this community, through the end. That is what it means to build on Jesus Christ. To build our bonds and our common language on Jesus Christ and nothing else. Unity happens when we make Jesus the foundation and nothing else. We can be different. We can come from different places. We can have different political affiliations. But the most important thing is that our foundation as a church is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Paul calls the church a field, a building, and the temple. In ancient Judaism, the temple... Was not only the cultural and economic epicenter for all of life, religion, politics, all of it, right there in the temple, but it's also also the place where everyone said God's Spirit dwells there. It is sacred, it is holy, God is in the temple when Paul wrote those words to say that this church, this community is the temple, the actual, literal, physical temple was still standing in Jerusalem. It hadn't been destroyed yet. Do you catch that? Paul is making a radical claim here. Essentially, he's saying the place that our ancestors have called the temple, the place that our ancestors have said that God's spirit has dwelt for the last thousand years, it's no longer that place. The place where God's spirit dwells is when the church gathers for worship and for mission. You are that temple. God's spirit dwells in you. In the original language, the pronoun you in verse 16 from our text this morning is actually in the plural form. So a better way way to read that is what I would call the southern style. God's spirit dwells in y'all. Not just you, the individual, but y'all, the community of faith. God's spirit dwells in y'all. Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) God's spirit dwells in the community of faith, in the places where our friendships happen, in the space when we worship together, in the times when we live on mission together, when we become and live out our identity as church, Paul says God's spirit is there. We remember the words of Jesus, for when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So being with God happens when you are with your faith community. Now, That's not to say that God's Spirit doesn't dwell in you as an individual. Of course it does. But when we skip out On the community of faith, the church, we miss a part of God. In community, we experience God in ways that we would not if we are apart from it. The Holy Spirit dwells with people, and it works for the unity of this people. As Paul says, being of the same mind and purpose. And Paul has harsh words for the one who seeks to destroy God's community. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. This is a very sharp warning that each and every one of us needs to hear. Community, the bonds that we hold with one another in the name of Jesus Christ, is sacred and holy. The one who seeks to destroy that, God will destroy that person. We are called to love one another. Church, Mountain View. We are called to forgive one another and we are called to be united. A house divided cannot stand. When Pastor John assigned me this text to preach months ago, I didn't realize that I'd be preaching on a unity passage two days before the election. One would think that Pastor John had that planned. Friends, we are living in times of hostility and disunity. And it would be all too easy for me to stand up here and say a bunch of negative things about the current cultural and political climate of our country. The sad truth is that the church has been far from perfect in this area as well. Friends, even when it's scary out there, even when it's crazy, even when we don't know what's going to happen, we have hope. For as long as we make Jesus Christ our united, shared foundation together, it doesn't matter what happens out there because God is building up a people of, a people of faith, a people of strength, a people of strength a united people on a united mission to go out there and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. May we be of the same mind and purpose, as Paul says. We could say a lot. We could say a lot right now about the disunity of our country. But instead, I'd like to share this prayer for our church During this time, by the work of the Holy Spirit, may we be a model, a model of unity and love that shines so bright that others will see and give glory to our Father in heaven. That is our message. May we, the church, be a people of unity and love that shines so bright that the world can do nothing but catch a glimpse of God's kingdom. I ask that each and every one of us live out that prayer. Unity and love. May we live out that prayer in how we speak to each other, or better yet, how we listen to one another. May we live out that prayer in how we encourage one another and how we welcome guests and visitors into this community showing that we are united in the mission of Jesus and that this is a place of hospitality. May we show our commitment to this prayer by avoiding the clicks that can so easily easily catch us up. Let us be a people who are united in mission. Let us live out this prayer in how we spread the gospel together. And let us live out this prayer in how we love one another. For remember the words of Jesus. Everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another Let's pray Heavenly Father these your words are strong and they call us to step in to a community of faith To be honest and authentic, but also united. Help us, Lord, your church, to be a place that is welcoming and hospitable to strangers and guests. Help us, Lord, to live out our mission of sharing the good news of the gospel and how we live and how we speak to one another to everyone we encounter. Lord, we pray that as your church that you would help us by the power of your spirit to understand the depths by which you love us and the depths by which you want us to love one another. Lord, there are those in our church who are hurting. There are those in our church who are facing Great physical pain, disability, illness, sickness. We ask, Lord, that you would reach out and touch them. Lord, we pray specifically for Joyce, Marcy, Mel, Gail, Shirley, John, Kathy, Samuel, Wendy, and Bev. Heal their bodies, God. Lord, we pray for the Patty family as they grieve the loss of Jim. Surround them. Surround all those, Lord, who are grieving, who are hurting. Lord, we pray for those who face financial issues in this church and outside of this church. We ask, God, that you would continue to provide. We pray for those who face mental illness or addiction or isolation or loneliness. Lord, use this church to bring relationship and connection. Use us to be an answer to this prayer. Lord, we pray for our families, marriages and parents, husbands and wives. God, we ask that you would strengthen the families of this church. Help our families to be united, reconciled, and living on mission together. We pray for the women of our church, all those who are attending this retreat this weekend. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work healing wounds, making connection, and helping women to rededicate themselves to a life following Jesus. We pray for Tidelands Church, Pastor Brandon Bailey, and all the churches in Marysville, And in Snohomish County, God, we ask that as we all gather this day, we would think of ourselves as one. One church built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, Lord. Strengthen your church, resource your church, and get us moving. Get us serving, Lord. We pray for the Senegal mission team, God, and our mission partners there. We ask that you would provide traveling mercies as they come home. We pray that you would bless the ministry that has been happening there. God, we ask that you would be at work all over the world, all over the globe, bringing peace and justice and hope. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts this morning for taking communion, we come before you and we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of grace. So in the silence of our hearts We confess to you our sins. Lord, we thank you that you always, always hear our prayers of confession and you are quick to forgive. Strengthen us never to take that lightly. Lord, it is in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.